Money Pit is brought to you by Flood, Stanley Tools, and Kohler Generators. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone, give us a call. We are here to help you with your home improvement projects. Help yourself first. Pick up the phone, call us at 888-666-3974. Well, now that we are smack dab in the beginning of summer, it's a great time to give your AC a quick checkup. Make sure that it's running in good shape so it'll stay that way through all the hot days ahead. We're going to have easy step-by-step advice in just a bit. And also ahead, if all you see when you look up is a plain one-dimensional ceiling, decorative ceiling treatments can really help you bring some drama and interest to that space in any room. And guess what? It's not hard to do. This old house contractor, Tom Silva, will be joining us with the details coming up. Plus, what can a standby generator do for you? Well, plenty. We're going to tell you why backup power is not only convenient, it's really an essential element these days, and it's not that expensive to have. And we're giving away a Bissell vacuum to one lucky winner. The Symphony All-in-One Vacuum and Steam Mop eliminates the need to sweep before you mop. It's a prize worth $219, so let's get to it. Give us a call right now at 888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. Leslie, who's first? Rob in Iowa, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Calling to get your guys' opinions on the, uh, I'm having my deck uh, partially repaired, and it's got some cedar trim and uh, cedar boards that have gone bad. So they're going to be replaced. So they're going to look newer compared to the rest of the deck. I was looking into getting one of the epoxy composite type uh, decks uh, coating systems. Uh, Rust-Oleum Restore is one brand. Bayer makes one, too. I'm just curious what you guys think about these products, and are they worth it? How many decking boards are uh, deteriorated, Rob? Well, uh, oh, it's a uh, majority of the steps. It's a cedar deck with a, a green treated uh, wood, you know, uh, underneath baseboard mm-hmm. support. Uh, the cedar is just dying out. I mean, it's about seven years old. Uh, the railings are going bad, too, so they're looking at replacing a lot of the boards on the steps of the railing, but the, up to the main platform and the main board here, uh, are doing fine. So it's mainly the, the, the steps up. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily consider you know completely sealing in all of that cedar with a product like that. Here's what I would do. First of all, the deck boards that are cracked or checked or deteriorated, one thing to try is to flip them over because the underside of those deck boards is usually as good as the day it went down. Even though it's cracked on top, the side that was not exposed to the sun is usually in pretty good condition. So you try to do that as much as you can. For ones that are really bad, just have to be replaced. Just replace those with new cedar decking boards. And yes, it's not going to match. And then once all the repair has been done, then you want to use a deck washing product like the one that makes that Flood Wood Care makes. You, you run a deck wash across everything. And then you want to hit it with at least two coats of solid stain. So not paint, but solid stain. Not semi-transparent, not transparent, but solid color stain. And a good quality, solid color strain. That's going to look all the same. It's going to maintain its wood quality. You'll see the grain through the stain. Um, and it'll look perfect. So I don't think you need to go with some sort of really thick, super thick coating right now. I think you just need to do some basic repairs. Okay. What stains would you recommend then? Good quality stain. So, yeah, Benjamin Moore, Sherwin-Williams, a good quality stain like that. All right. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Rob. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. All right. Now we've got Catherine in Arizona on the line who's dealing with an issue with sod. 
And Arizona is pretty darn hot. So tell us what's going on. I live actually in the mountains in Arizona. And so our issue is not the heat, but the cold. And so what we've had happen is that we laid sod about eight years ago. And unbeknownst to us novice homeowners, it had mesh netting on the backside of the roll. And I don't know if we were supposed to remove that or something, but now the sod did not take to our climate and it uh, has died, and we would like to reseed or lay down some new sod or something like that. But in order to prepare the soil and till it and all of that, I just don't know what to do because there's this mesh netting all over the ground. And in some areas it's exposed, in some areas it isn't. But I just wondered what your advice would be. So the sod never really bit, so to speak? It never really grew through the mesh netting and, and connected with the soil below? Not not really. I mean, it did in some areas, but it just did not grow well for our climate. It couldn't handle the winters. It just wouldn't recover. Well, I mean, the first thing you want to do is a soil test. You can, you know, sometimes your county extension services and, and services like that will, will do the test for you or have a landscaper do the test. But you need to know what's in that soil and how to adjust the pH to get it just right to reseed. Yeah, to fertilize correctly and... Right. You know, otherwise you might not be giving it the stuff that it needs and it won't grow. Yeah, you're working blind. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that the best time to do this is not the beginning of summer. The best time to do this is in the fall when it's a little cooler out because even if you did everything right and it started to grow, the intense heat that follows a month or two down the line will burn it out and kind of ruin all the good work that you did. So I would spend the summer getting the information that you need to kind of come up with a plan. Now, in terms of whether or not you remove the old sod or not, if it's really loose and disconnected and not really knitting and sort of sitting on top, then in that case, I would take it out and then prep the soil below. If it has connected, then I would leave it. Now, if you have sod, is it weedy? Is it also weedy, Catherine? There are lots of weeds. So it's not so much the sod that's the issue, but it's the plastic mesh netting that was on the backside of the sod roll that's there. And I just don't know, can we till with that there, or is that going to get all caught up in the tiller? I, I think you probably can. I mean, in my experience, those types of backers are designed to stay there and, and not be removed, and they just, they just sort of deteriorate naturally away. Hmm, okay. So I, I don't suspect that that would be an issue, because otherwise, how would you ever lay it down? Right, right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I didn't know what was supposed to be common, just that it hasn't degraded at all. Um, After eight years, it's still totally there. Well, here's an idea. One of the things that you could do is you could um, rent um, a seeding machine that that slices the lawn. There are machines out there that will actually slice it and and drop the seed sort of into the slits. Mm-hmm. And that will cut through it. But really, before you do any of that, the first thing to do is do a soil test and see what's going on there. Yeah, this way you know how to feed it, how to take care of it, when it's going to want to be seeded. I mean, that will really answer a lot of questions for you. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and if the sod, if you end up deciding to leave the sod in place and if it gets really weedy, one thing you could do is something called a Roundup restoration. You can spray Roundup right on the sod and kill the sod and actually leave it in place and then put the seed right up into the dead grass. It will hold it really well, and it will re-sprout, and the Roundup will not prevent the new seed from taking root. Huh, okay, okay. That's called a Roundup restoration. Hmm. All right, that makes sense. All right, Catherine, good luck with that project. Let's hope there's some more green in your future. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Thank you. 888 
You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Well, we are gearing up for the big 4th of July weekend. And lucky us this year, the 4th falls on a Friday. So maybe we're taking an extra long weekend. Maybe got some stuff to work on, having a big party. Let us know how we can give you a hand at your Money Pit. Give us a call, 888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. Here's one thing you don't want to happen when you're having a party and your house is filled with all your family and friends. The air conditioning kicks out. Do you know if your air conditioner is really ready to beat the heat? We're going to give you some tips on what you need to know about AC maintenance to keep cool all summer long next. You live in a Money Pit. The Money Pit is presented by Pavestone's easy-to-stack Rumblestone rustic building blocks. Create any outdoor hardscape you can imagine to instantly add old-world charm. Available at the Home Depot. For more information and product instructions, visit pavestone.com. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. The number to call is 888-MONEY-PIT. And one caller who gets on the air with us today is going to not only get the answer to their home improvement question, but will also win a symphony all-in-one vacuum and steam mop from Bissell. And what's so cool about this is it's actually two products in one. That's right. The symphony vacuums and steams at the same time. So it eliminates the old process of broom, dustpan, mop, and bucket. Now, the powerful cyclonic action cleans away dry debris. The steam sanitizes, which can eliminate up to 99.9% of germs and bacteria, which is great because with a 19-month-old at home, he eats everything off the floor. And it'd be kind of great to know that the floor is pretty clean. It's worth $219 going out to one caller. So give us a call. Let's get to it. 888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. Stewart in Rhode Island's got a water heating question for us. What can we do for you today? had an oil-fired hot water heater, a separate oil-fired hot water heater, separate from the old one. And it finally went bad after 13 years. I guess that was a good, good time period. Um, and my plumber is urging me to replace it with an electric hot water heater with a timer on it. Um, it's, it's much more uh, cheaper to do that than buy a to replace the oil-fired hot water here that I had. Uh, but I'm just wondering, is there any negatives to it? Well, it's a little more expensive to run than oil, but as you say, it's a lot less expensive to buy. I'm actually surprised that it only lasted 13 years because oil-fired water heaters seem to last a lot longer than standard water heaters. I mean, if you just look at the warranties, the standard water heaters, the electric water heaters, may, may have a five-year warranty on the tank, maybe a 10-year warranty on the tank. But I've found that oil-fired water heaters last 20 to 25 years on a regular basis. So the fact that it, that it failed at 13 is just plain bad luck. Um, I have nothing against the idea of you putting in an electric water heater and saving some money there as long as you are using it with a timer. Uh, it won't last probably as long as what I would have thought your oil water heater would have lasted, but it will save you some money. I presume your house uh, also has oil heat. Is that correct? It does. And is it hot air or hot water? It's hot air. It's hot air. Okay. Yeah, so the water heater is completely standalone. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's potential. I, I don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other. It's really personal preference. Um, but if you want to save some money, there's no problem. Putting, there's no reason not to put the electric water heater as long as it's sized properly and it is on a timer because, of course, you only want that to run when you have to. Water heaters are dumb. They, they heat the water 24-7 whether you use it or not. So you want to make sure that it's properly insulated and, and the timer set up so it's not running all night long when you don't really need it running. Right. 
Okay. Any idea how many hours I should probably have that shut off? Well, what I would do is I would shut it off kind of uh, after you're done with your evening cleaning tasks because the water will stay warm for a while. So if you like to shower and bathe at night, you know, whenever that part of the evening is done, that's when you want to shut it down. Then bring it on about an hour before you wake up in the morning. If you leave to go to work on a regular basis, you can... um, you know, turn it off while you're uh, away at work. But if you're home or you work from home and you need it during the day, you might have to skip that cycle. But the key time to have it off is in the middle of the night. Okay. Very good then. I think I'll stick with it. All right. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, if you haven't already, you are most likely going to close those windows and crank up the AC for the hottest part of the summer. Now, before you get that unit to run almost nonstop for weeks, consider a checkup of your AC system. Now, this is something that needs to be done by a qualified HVAC professional, but taking the time, the effort, and the money to do this now could mean the difference between a cool summer and a very expensive breakdown on the hottest day of the year, which is not pretty. Yeah, so what should an AC checkup include? Well, you can start by checking your thermostat settings to make sure comfort levels are maintained when you're home and energy is saved when you're not at home. Now, a pro is going to check that electrical connections are tightened and motor voltage and current is measured. All moving parts will be lubricated and he or she will inspect the condensate drain in a central air conditioner and remove any clogs if needed. Yeah, that's really important because those clogs can force the system to run under stress and that could lead to a breakdown. Now, the control Controls will also be checked for proper and safe operation, including the starting cycle, the in-service operation, and the shutdown. And make sure the service includes cleaning of the evaporator and the condenser air conditioning coils, checking refrigerant levels, and cleaning and adjusting the blower components. Now, for more tips and a step-by-step guide to AC maintenance, head on over to moneypit.com and simply search heating and cooling system maintenance. Now we've got Hong in Pennsylvania on the line who is having an issue with carpenter ants. Tell us what's going on. One day, you know, you know, in the front of the house, we have these wooden pillars. And in a round base, suddenly I saw there was a neatly cut hole and the carpenter ants were climbing out of that. What's an effective way of uh, getting rid of them? Well, there's a product called Phantom. P-H-A-N-T-O-M. That's a professionally in, uh, applied pesticide, Hong. Works very well for carpenter ants and roaches and other types of pests like that. And the reason it works particularly well is because it's a non-detectable pesticide. So the ants go through this product and they bring it back to their nest, and they pass it from insect to insect. I I think of it as germ warfare for insects. And as they pass it from insect to insect, it will uh, very quickly wipe out the entire nest. And I think a professional product like that is going to be the safest and most effective way to get rid of these ants. Because if you use a lot of over-the-counter products, chances are you're not going to get all the ants where they live because you're not going to find any product that's non-detectable that's available as an over-the-counter. And you'll end up putting more and more pesticide in than you probably really need to. So I would take a look at phantomhome.com, P-H-A-N-T-O-M, home.com. You can put in your zip code, find a number of pest control operators near your house, and uh, have them provide you some estimates for for controlling this. You really need to get it under control because carpenter ants 
uh, are called carpenter ants for a very good reason. They do eat wood. We want to make sure that they don't eat uh, anything that's structural in your house. Yeah, you know, you know that that's what I was. I thought. Okay. Good luck, Hong. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. Pat and I was on the line with a question about painting. What can we do for you today? Uh, yes, I uh, would like to paint my aluminum siding on my home. I can't afford to side it right now. And I was wondering if it's possible to paint aluminum siding. Absolutely. There's no reason you can't paint aluminum siding. What you want to do is clean the house really well, power wash it perhaps, and then you're going to have to prime that siding. That's really important. Otherwise, nothing is going to stick. Exactly. So you need to do a primer coat. Okay. Well, what t- what kind of primer? Well, you're going to use a primer that's designed to work with the paint that you select. So, for example, if you're going to work with the Benjamin Moore family of paints, you're going to use a Benjamin Moore primer. Okay. And the primer is the glue. It's the adhesive coat. That's what makes the paint stick. And then you put the top coat on top of that. Now, will this peel on the south side where the sun hits? No, not if you do a good job on the prep. You know, that's why we're telling you to prime it. It's you because And because the siding is metal... That paint job should last you a good 8 to 10 years. It lasts less if it's an organic material like wood siding, but with metal siding, it can last a long time if it's done well. Oh, good. That's a good thing to know. Okay. I wasn't sure I could even do it. I thought maybe it would just peel right off. Now, the power wash, is that just... um I'd have to hire somebody to probably do that. Yeah, I mean, unless you unless you happen to have your own pressure washer, yeah, you'd have to hire somebody to do that, and they'll use a detergent and clean off any dirt and debris and algae and so on that's on the on the metal, and you let it dry really, really well, then you prime, then you paint. I mean, it's a big project, Pat. You know, if if you're not comfortable with, uh, you know, 10-foot, 20-foot ladders, depending on how high your house is, you might want to hire a painter to do this. No, I'd probably hire someone else to do it, but do you think it'd be real expensive, or would I be better off to... Pre- find a good vinyl siding man to put. Well, I think that you don't have to side the house. You don't have to put siding. You can paint this house and paint it successfully, and I think it will be less expensive than, than siding. Thank you very much. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome, Pat. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Still ahead, we've got tips to take your ceiling to new heights. Literally, we've got advice to help you transform a blah ceiling into a wow ceiling with help from This Old House general contractor, Tom Silva. Today's This Old House segment is brought to you by Stanley Tools. Stanley Tools has been helping to build America since 1843. Look for specially marked Stanley packaging featuring the Made in USA with Global Materials logo. Visit stanleytools.com slash buildyouramerica. Hey, this is Adam Carolla, and when I'm not swinging a hammer, I'm catching up on the Money Pit with Tom and Leslie. On the Money Pit Radio Show, pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling Starting an outdoor wood staining project? Get it done the simple way with Flood Wood Care. With products like Flood CWF UV, you get long-lasting quality at a great value, plus guidance to help make the whole process easier. Get started at flood.com. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show, where home solutions live. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And for the latest in new product trends, listen to our top products podcast on now at moneypit.com. Just look for the radio and media tab at moneypit.com. 
Well, when you look up, is the view less than exciting? Decorative ceilings could be your solution. You know, with decorative ceilings, you can turn your blank and bland ceiling into an architectural showpiece. Here to tell us how is this old house general contractor, Tom Silva. Welcome, Tom. Thanks. It's nice to be here. You know, I think that homeowners that are looking to add interest to their sort of charmless ceilings really should be considering what they could do to decorate them because it really can be a key architectural element of the room, right? Absolutely. I think the first thing that comes to mind, everybody thinks crown molding is a way to dress up a room. It's that final touch right. mm-hmm. there. And it's great. It can be challenging to install, and you can build up the crown molding from a simple crown molding to a multiple layers of crown molding. Well, you're right. So crown molding is difficult to install, but I've seen now foam crown molding that seems to adhere with caulk, and you can practically cut it with a utility knife. That seems to be the good DIY option, right? It's a great DIY option. I've actually installed it with joint compound, where you can butter up that edge of the joint compound on the top and the bottom of the crown molding. You can push it into the ceiling and into the wall. And the nice thing about that, it actually fills the gap between the ceiling and the wall, and you just wipe it off with a wet sponge. So when it's painted, really can't tell the difference? You can't tell the difference. You can also fill the joints with the joint compound, too. So if you're really sloppy... <laughs> that makes a big difference, because you don't have to do the math surrounding the compound miter cut. Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, another easy solution, I think, are ceiling medallions. And, you know, while they were a very traditional look, I feel that there's some modern designs kind of coming back with medallions, and it's a good option. It's a great option. Polyurethane today, before they were heavy plaster Mm -hmm. and they were either made in a mold and then picked up and then stuck to the wall with plaster. But today you can use a a polyurethane and they can duplicate any medallion that you want with the three-dimensional cameras and so on. We've done them on the Soul House Project and they're pretty cool. Now, what about tin ceilings? Tin ceilings are a very traditional old ceiling. Um, A lot of options besides the original tin. You could go with a drop ceiling that looks like tin today, right? Yeah, they have a drop ceiling. You see them a lot in in hotels and restaurants that you really, you know, they have great spaces. They go in quickly. A tin ceiling can be time-consuming because lots of times you put a plywood sheathing over the ceiling first, and then you staple them in. And then around the perimeter, they actually have the crown molding detail that's Mm -hmm. tin also. It's tricky, and you want to use gloves because the edges can be sharp, but it makes a huge difference. You know, I think the tin ceilings just look so beautiful, but there are so many other options. You know, I've seen coffered ceilings and tray ceilings, and I think a lot of people get confused. And unless you've got an architect or a builder who's kind of into doing something like that, which might not be the easiest to find, how do you sort of know if that's going to work for your space? We do a lot of coffered ceilings because some of the stuff that we have is high and uh, you want to bring that ceiling down to, mm-hmm. into place. Right. And there's all kinds of details that you can do. You can do like a large square in the middle with little rectangles and squares in the in the corners. Or you can do multiple square options. And then you can really dress up the beams around the coffered ceiling with crown moldings or cornice moldings. And this all ma- sounds very expensive, by the way. It is very expensive. Okay. <laughs> You're like, and this molding, and that molding, well, and another molding. You think about it. If you do a, a simple crown molding around a room, and then you say, well, I want to dress it up, you may have three or four buildups mm-hmm. of crown molding. So you're not going around that room once. You could be going around four times. Mm-hmm. You know, so it makes a big difference. Now, Tom, a lot of folks think that anything but a white ceiling makes their room look small. Do you run across those types of objections with your customers? Uh, I very rarely do a white ceiling. Right. It's always got a little bit of a tint to it, a little bit of a less of a sheen to it. Uh, a lot of people like flat ceilings. I like a little bit of a sheen to it. Um, and, you know, lots of times we'll pick from the color of the trim. 
and then take the white and put a little bit of the color of the trim in the white so that it blends Mm -hmm. and softens it a little bit. But it doesn't necessarily make the room look smaller. No, no. I think it really warms it up. Yeah, exactly. A little contrast is a good thing. Mm -hmm. There's one that's Benjamin Moore I like. I think it's called Blush, and it's like a super, super soft pink white. Yeah. And it just has this like warm skin tone almost to it that when you have a beautiful chandelier in a bedroom, you know, it just kind of gives a really nice ambiance to the space. Right. We just did one on the This Old House Project where we discovered an old plastered ceiling up underneath the ceiling that had huh. been lowered in the 60s, because that was pretty common. That was common. Right? Yeah, they were trying to save energy, so they <laughs> less cubic feet. But we discovered a beautiful crown molding that we had to fix. It was glaster, and then the medallion. So what we did is we painted the trim and the crown one color, we painted the ceiling a color that would blend, and the medallion was also painted the color of the trim. But you, it was just a, such a subtle difference, mm-hmm. but it really set things off. I bet that was one magnificent transformation, something that you do quite frequently. Tom Silva from TV's This Old House, thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. All right. You can catch the current season of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS. For local listings and step-by-step videos of many common home improvement projects, visit thisoldhouse.com. And This Old House is brought to you by Lumber Liquidators. Lumber Liquidators, hardwood floors for less. Up next, if the power goes out and you're not at home, what do you do? Panic at the thought of returning to a flooded basement, perhaps? Well, that's not going to happen if you add a standby generator equipped with a home monitoring system that allows you to check the status of your home's electrical system from anywhere you are. We're going to have details on how you can get just that for your home after this. You live in a body pit. The Money Pit is brought to you by Lutron's new Maestro Occupancy Sensing Switch. Never ask, who left the lights on again? Starting at around $20, this motion-sensing light switch turns the lights on automatically when you walk into a room and off when you leave and works with all types of light bulbs. Learn more at LutronSensors.com. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And the number here to call is 888-MONEY-PIT. Now, one caller who gets on the air with us today is going to win a Symphony all-in-one vacuum and steam mop from Bissell. What's so cool about this is that it's two products in one. Symphony vacuums and steams at the same time. The powerful cyclonic action will suck up dry debris, and the steam heat eliminates up to 99.9% of germs and bacteria. And it only weighs about 10.5 pounds, so it's easy to take from room to room. It's worth $219 and goes out to one caller we talked to on the air today. Day. Make that you pick up the phone and call us at 888 Money Pit 888-666-3974. Brandon in California has been taking some cold showers. Well, not intentionally anyway. How can we help you with that? My cold water valve, when I it just happens just to the cold water. If I turn on the hot water, it doesn't have the problem. But when I turn on the cold, it does this knocking or like a bang in the wall, and the pressure is reduced significantly. And it just will it'll come out really low pressure unless I really turn it on, and then um, the pressure comes back. But uh, I don't know what well, I don't know if that's called like knocking or hammer knocking or something like that. But yeah, it's called water hammer. Water hammer. Is, is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. It's not a like a 
continual knocking, though. Okay, so first of all, when you open up the faucet and all the water kind of runs forward towards it, that has a lot of force with it, and that will bang the pipe sometimes. And if the pipe, especially if it's not attached well to the floor joist or whatever happens to go through, makes that banging sound. That's why we call it water hammer. Uh, it can be lessened or completely repaired with some plumbing work, but it may or may not be worth it because it doesn't really damage the pipe. It really just more of an annoyance. Now, in terms of the pressure issue, so the water comes on fast and then trickles out after that? Is that what's going on? Well, it, it comes out normal, but then it just seems like someone's in the wall, like, kinking the line, and it's just coming out. Like, it, it comes out still. It's not, like, trickling out, like, drips. Is it one faucet in the shower? What about the sink that's right next to it? What no, ha- there's the three, like, one on the left is hot. The center transitions it from the bathtub to the shower head, and then the one on the right is the cold water. What about your sink? Does it do the same thing at the sink? No, it's, it's just in the shower. So what I would do is I would install a pressure balance valve in the shower. The pressure balance valve, essentially, it's not going to address the water hamming, but what it'll do is it'll keep the pressure even between hot and cold, keep the mix even between hot and cold, so that you don't get any sort of shell shock when you step in the shower and somebody runs a fixture somewhere else and it changes the temperature. Yeah, so no more pranksters flushing the toilet and getting a super scalding shower. Okay. And the fact that this is only happening at the shower means it's a problem with the valves. It's not a problem with the plumbing lines. Otherwise, it would be happening at the sink as well. Okay, that kind of makes sense because sometimes it's just sometimes it's hard to like balance when we're in the shower. It's like, oh man, this is just scalding hot. Yeah, we really got to crank up that cold to get it. Yep. kind of balanced. That's out, what you right? need a pressure balance valve. All right, perfect. Well, when the forecast calls for severe weather, a standby generator system can make sure you're ready for the storm. According to the experts at Kohler Generators, here's what you need to know. Well, standby generators run on natural or propane gas, and they're installed directly to your home. So if you lose power, the generator will automatically start up and restore power to your home. Depending on your home size, it can power just a few critical items, or you can go for the entire house, including lights, HVAC, fridge, sump pump, security system, electronics, you name it, you can power it. Now, many manufacturers, including Kohler, also offer remote monitoring capabilities. So homeowners will be able to manage their automatic standby generators from a laptop, which is a pretty cool technology. It enables you to know exactly what's going on, whether you're home or not. Mm-hmm. And manufacturer websites like Kohler's feature a variety of helpful tools, including a sizing calculator and a dealer locator, because this is not a do-it-yourself project. And this severe weather tip is presented by Kohler Generators running on clean propane or natural gas. A Kohler standby generator is permanently installed outside your home and comes on automatically within seconds of a power outage. To learn more, visit KohlerGenerators.com. Robert in Michigan's dealing with hard water. Tell us what's going on. I have a lot of problem with hard water, a lot of okay. iron, and I've seen advertised these electric uh, water softeners where you don't use salt. It goes mm-hmm. through a electric box or something. And in my mind, uh, I can't figure out how they would work. Well, we've had some experience with one called Easy Water. And how this one in particular works is you take a, I guess, is it a power supply, Tom? It's it's an electrical cord or, or, or wire that you wrap around your water supply pipe. Well, the Easy Water itself, actually, that's exactly what it does. It creates a magnetic field. 
And so this is wrapped around the supply pipe and then it magnetizes or demagnetizes, so to speak. And pushes everything away from each other so that they're not going to stick. And then it sort of just rinses through rather than getting stuck where you see all of the issues that you get with hard water. All right. How do they work? Well, they seem to work pretty good. You know, we, we've gotten a lot of uh, feedback on the system uh, when we installed it. And we've heard from folks that have installed it. It worked well for us, and it seems to work well for uh, lots of the folks that we've talked to. So I I would not be afraid to give it a shot. And I know that they have a pretty good warranty on that. So if you have any problems, you can send it back. Okay. I don't have any information on it now, and I don't see it advertised anymore on TV. Yeah, you know, it's actually pretty easy to find, Robert. Their website is easywater.com, and that's spelled out E-A-S-Y water.com. Don't use use the initials because that's a, a competitor. There's a lot of folks that have been trying to steal their traffic, so to speak. So if you just go to EasyWater, E-A-S-Y, water.com, you'll find it. The product is made by the Freegy Treatment Systems Company, F-R-E-I-J-E. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Say, so, do you feel like your home is the star of when animals attack suburban version? Well, critters are cute, but when they infringe on your home, they can be a nuisance. We'll have a tip to keep one pest away after this. Where home solutions live, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Looking to take your questions at 888-MONEY-PIT or on our Facebook page at moneypit.com. Let's talk to a couple of folks here. Let's respond to a couple of folks that posted on our page. First up, Joanne. All right, Joanne writes, how do I repair holes made in my house by woodpeckers? Some are six inches or wider. We do try to eradicate them, but others return. (laughs) I feel like if they like your house, they like your house. Yeah, exactly. If you've got a six-inch wide hole, uh, Joanne, you're looking at a basic carpentry repair project. So I don't think there's anything uh, you know specific to woodpeckers that in, that's going to affect how you repair that hole. What you do want to do is get rid of them, and I'll give you a couple of tips on that. Some things that we've found that can help dissuade woodpeckers without harming them would be to hang tin pie plates in the areas that they like to infest because the twirly silver things kind of freak them out. And the other thing is to take some black plastic bags, like hefty bags, slice them so that you have sort of a ribbon of these bags sort of blowing in the wind. Like a trash bag streamer? Yeah, like a streamer effect. That also tends to uh, dissuade them. But in terms of the repair, I mean, look, I I don't know what kind of siding you have, but if it's clabbered siding, you're going to want to cut that siding out and not just at the six-inch hole. The thing is, you want to go much wider than that so it doesn't look like a patch. You want it to look like a whole piece of siding was replaced. Remember to prime it before you hang it so that you have primers on primer on all sides of the board, uh, then paint it and repair it. Yeah. And you could always, if you're replacing your trim pieces or fascia or siding or anything, you can always go with something that's made from like an extruded PVC that they're not going to like. All right. Next up, we've got a post from Bill who writes, what should I stain my new cedar decking with, if anything? Well, I think it's a good idea to stain your decking. See, here's the thing about cedar and redwood and other decay-resistant lumbers. Just because they're not going to decay doesn't mean they're not going to crack and check and get all kinds of splintery, and that's going to not be a very pleasant surface. So if you want to enjoy the natural season for maybe one summer, that's fine. But listen, you're going to have to stain and seal it pretty soon thereafter. 
And the best time to do it would be perhaps in the fall before the winter weather does set in. You're going to want to use a solid color stain, not a semi-transparent. Now, that frightens some people because they think solid color means paint. It doesn't. Solid color stain lasts a long, long time. In fact, we just restained our house this summer. And you know how long ago it was stained? 14 years. 14 years for an exterior staining job. And it wasn't like we ignored it for the last 10. I mean, it looked really good for all of those years because we use solid color stain, which fades but doesn't peel. So you want to use solid color stain on that cedar decking to preserve it, stop it from cracking and checking and getting uncomfortable. All right, next up, we've got Theodore with a block wall question. Yeah, Theodore says, I offset and reconstructed a retaining wall against my house, and in doing so, I exposed more of the basement's cinder block wall, which apparently has a coating of waterproofing on it. My wife hates how it looks and thinks it would be awful to tar the rest of the wall to match. I agree with your wife, Theodore. I don't think you need to apply that tar. It's only designed to be below grade. So what I would do, it's probably all dried out now. I'd clean the wall really well, and then I would simply paint the foundation with a masonry paint, paint it gray or tan or whatever color you prefer. And make sure you've maintained, now that you've built that wall, make sure you've maintained a positive slope away from that wall so any rainwater is going to roll away from it and any gutter downspouts are going to be discharged well away from it so that you don't impact the, uh, the ability of the wall to remain watertight. And that should keep you dry. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Thank you so much for spending this fine summer day with us. We hope we've given you some tips, some advice, some inspiration so that you won't have too much perspiration when you tackle those home improvement projects. If you do need help, we're available 24-7 at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 